I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Although it's uh, usual practice for the preacher to, um, to preach in reflection on the readings we've just heard, tonight I'm going to depart from that practice to do something that from time to time I think is really important to do, which is to, to offer some reflections on why we do what we do in our worship. Um, although, having just heard that marvelous reading of the parable of the unjust just judge and, uh, and feeling all of his cynicism, I would love to actually be preaching tonight on, on how Jesus is quite comfortable in using entirely dodgy characters uh, to say something about God. I mean, that's, that's a fascinating thing, but I'll have to put that on hold for another time. Because this, this business of... of, of why we do what we do is really important. Ceremonial and ritual can be rich communicators if we know what it is they're supposed to communicate. Otherwise, they can become just kind of, well, empty or begin to look sort of like magic or be things that we just say and do by rote. And so tonight, I'm going to try to, to break any of those, any of those temptations. Um, and in fact, during the communion prayer itself, I'm going to actually add some editorial stuff to explain some of that symbolism as well. And so it'll be slightly unusual because normally we stand during the Eucharistic prayer, but I'm going to actually have a set because it'll be easier for people a little ways back to actually see what I'm doing um, if we do it that way. Shape of this liturgy is fourfold. You can see it in the menu. Gathering, word, table, and then being sent into the rest of life. In our practice here, the gathering is actually signaled by the ringing of that big church bell that happens a minute or two after seven. And, and that's rung as a signal that the transition has begun. I mean, there's a kind of a wonderful chaos that happens in here uh, in those minutes before, before worship begins. People are getting coffee. They're, they're connecting with each other. There's lots of chatter and conversation happening. And some people are rushing to get in from that parking lot in time. And, and sort of we kind of leak in over those five minutes around 7 o'clock. The bell ringing says the transition is underway to move us from the busyness into a, a different time, in fact, a different rhythm and a different time for this hour. So we put the busyness away. And the musicians just start to play, and typically they'll do something like we did tonight, very simple uh, word content and sung again and again and again. And if you're not used to that and you, you're counting, you just give up. The answer is a lot. Um, the idea, though, is, is that it, it frees you from having to lock onto the paper, and you can simply sing. And in fact, you can just close your eyes, and you can sing. And before you know it, you, f you realize you're not even thinking about the fact that you're singing these words. You're simply singing them. It's a way of centering. It's a kind of prayer. And while that's happening, I come down and light these candles, wearing my fancy dress, which is not to mark me aside as somebody the most special in the room. In fact, in a sense, it's quite the opposite. When, when, when a priest puts on any kind of robe or vestment, it's in fact to cover me 
So it doesn't matter how dashing my pants might be and how well-pressed my shirt might be, and oh boy, it's well-pressed. Um, it doesn't matter, it's covered. And it doesn't matter whether it's me or Helen Manfield or Preston Parsons who, who presided here in the summer. You, you cover and you stand as a sign, uh, it's a sign of our work. And in fact, the one sort of extra piece is this thing called a stole, which is the real sign of work. Among other things, it symbols the, uh, uh, the mantle that's placed, the yoke that's placed across the shoulders of an ox to then hitch it to its cart to do its work. That's one of the symbols behind it. And in fact, when I put it on um, before coming out, there's a cross right across the shoulders, and that's kissed and placed on my shoulders as a sign of my love for this work. I love the burden I carry. And so in I come, dressed all fancy, except for it's not dressed all fancy. It's dressed for work. Candles are lit and then just set. Once the song is finished, somebody at the back rings that sounding bowl and it sets up that ring and it's struck three times, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this thing is all shot through with, with teaching, right? And while that's happening, I put some grains of incense onto the coal and up comes the smoke and you see it rise and you can smell it. It's, it's, it's a very visual, it's engaging senses, Right? This is one of the most biblical things we do, actually, all through the Old Testament. Incense is a visual and olfactory uh, symbol of prayer. And once that incense has gone up and the bell has kind of stopped, then the greeting is made. We're all standing. And the greeting is followed by a prayer, uh, which sometimes we sing. I don't know if you were expecting us to sing it tonight. We, we sometimes sing that prayer, sometimes we say it together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. One of the strangest things is to say that prayer as, kind of by rote. Do, 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 do you hear what it's actually saying? It is saying we are going to stand here in the presence of the Holy One who knows us completely, utterly, all the desires, all the secrets, all the stuff. And yet we're invited to be in this presence and to maybe work or be moved towards transformation. Those are potent words. We shouldn't say those by rote. And then we sing. And after we sing, there's what's called the collect for the day, the collecting prayer. And it's usually a prayer that's been framed in in relation to the scripture we're going to read. And having gathered that way with song and symbol and stillness and prayer, then we sit. And we hear a reading from the middle of the church, read by somebody who just gets up from the congregation to read. That's a sign that this scripture is at the center of the community. And it doesn't belong to any one person, but it belongs to us all. And it's read to us from the middle and then... You're invited to stand for the gospel. And the gospel, again, is read from the middle. Do you know why we stand? I actually used to think, my, my instinct when I first encountered this tradition, was that it must be sort of a sign of extra respect for the gospel. It's actually as a sign of our willingness to be mobilized by it, to stand at ready and, and to, to, 
from that place to be ready to move. And actually, if some, some night you're here and somebody reads that and something hits you that you know you have to respond to, you should actually get up and just go. Just go and do whatever it is that you have heard that gospel call you into because that's what the symbol says. And having heard that together and symbolically signaled our our readiness to be moved by it, then, then we sit. We sit for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, waiting till the bell is rung again. And that's to kind of just anchor us all, including me. One of the greatest things for a preacher is to have that little bit of time to breathe again. And occasionally I will actually look at the carefully prepared notes I have and I'll put them down because I know I have to say something else. That's a time of just being attentive and open. And then I preach, or Helen preaches if she's here, or you know whoever it is. Um, but that's all part of the movement of the word towards the table. So it's not the high point. It's part of the walk. After the sermon, we often sing. And then there's the prayers of the people. Prayers of the people are led by somebody from the community. Right now, there's six or seven different people who said they would, they would do that. They'd take a turn. They don't only lead those, they they write them. And the invitation that I've issued to people who take on that ministry is, is you write them. Because we want to have five or six or seven different perspectives represented in those people doing the prayer. So don't be afraid of your voice. But be attentive to what we all need to hear and pray about together. And so they do that and they take great care in doing that. Following the prayers, we come to the confession and absolution where we tell the truth about the disaster we tend to make of our own lives and our our inability to fix our own brokenness. And then we hear announced over that this audacious proclamation of grace that says both you are reconciled, I'm reconciling you always, And it also says, now get up on your feet, go back and try again. It's both a proclamation of grace and a challenge to live differently maybe a little this week. But you know what? Next Sunday we'll come back and we'll say the same words. There is a kind of a a lovely absurdity in that. Grace always trumps. And following that confession... And that confession is, is, or that absolution is made, and I make a sign of the cross, which is, again, a very visual thing. And you might notice some people around you will then make a sign of the cross on their own bodies. Don't be afraid of that. I mean, nobody has to do that. Um, But don't be afraid of it. What, What that is, is that's a way of responding with body. And what it's saying is, I believe in this grace being pronounced over me with all of my mind and all of my heart and all of my strength. So don't be afraid of doing it if it feels like a response that you you would like to do, if that's a meaningful sign for you. And having done that, then I stand and I say, the peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. And we exchange a greeting of peace with somebody close by. Now, now some people will be in churches where, where that takes a long time because lots of people are trying to greet everybody around. It's actually, one of my theology professors said, the exchange of the peace is meant to be a sign of the promise of the peaceable kingdom 
which is to come, not a foretaste of the coffee hour. (laughs) So we don't actually have to greet everybody, but it is an important gesture because what it means is we've made peace with God, now make peace with one another. And it may just be somebody close to you. It may, may not even be somebody you know particularly. Maybe, maybe a complete stranger. Make peace with them. And that brings to a close the, the, the word. And then we move towards the table. And while we, we do set the table, we sing. And you'll see the kids kind of go racing to the back. And they bring those baskets of fresh produce to the front. That's food to be shared with the ministry of Agape Table. It's placed at the foot of the communion table as, a, as one of the most powerful icons we have. I mean, there's kind of icons like the one at the front, which is a traditional Russian icon. But those baskets of, fruits are all, of fruit and vegetables are also icons because they are a visual reminder that what we do in our feast our table of breaking bread and sharing the cup and being bound together as one in Christ must have a relationship to hungry people who come day in and day out into that parish hall to eat. The hunger of the world is implicated in our lives and our faith, and so it needs to be connected. The Eucharistic prayer that we use, and it has that back and forth, the Lord be with you also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. That's again, every once in a while I have to remind people because I go, the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. No, 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 no. Again, these words are only valuable to us if we actually own them. And then into that prayer. And that prayer, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more uh, as, as we go along, but that is a, that's an ancient prayer of the church from around the, the beginning of the third century and in different languages and forms has been used to, to, to give thanks and to celebrate and to bless. That alone is an extraordinary thing. And in the middle of it, we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord. Uh, that's a hymn that's drawn. It's an angelic hymn from the book of Isaiah. And so as we sing that, I always put a little more incense into the bowl because in the book of the prophet Isaiah, it says that, that, that when, they, when, when Isaiah has his experience of seeing these angels and the, the sort of the holy throne and the whole thing, that the whole place fills with smoke. And so there's that little connection to the story. Then we come um, after the, the Eucharistic prayer. There's the Lord's Prayer, the breaking of the bread, the invitation to communion, and then we begin And you come up in circle after circle after circle to stand around this table. And as the musicians lead us in music, people come around and bring you a piece of this bread and this this cup of wine. Now, in some churches, uh, what they call bread is this little round thing, it's a little flat, and it sticks to the roof of your mouth. It doesn't taste at all like bread. It doesn't look like bread. It doesn't smell like bread. So we made a decision early in our life as St. Ben's that we were going to use real bread, and Murray Crucial now bakes this wonderful spelt molasses honey bread for us that when you take it in your mouth, you can actually chew it and you actually taste it. And then they bring, we bring around this cup, and of course it's kind of a bowl, and you cannot take a polite dainty sip out of that cup. No matter how hard you try, you will actually get kind of a real taste in your mouth, and that's a good thing. And as I often tell people, this congregation goes through about twice as much wine as any other Anglican church in the city, regardless of size. 
because of those bowls and because nobody, almost nobody here has ever been trained in some pious tradition that sort of has you just barely touching it to your lips, you should taste that bread and taste that wine because it is a feast. And then after that has all finished and people have returned to their seats and we're singing all the way through and often it's one of those songs that kind of goes in those big circles, right? And people are singing and moving and it takes a while Steve Bell um, once said, he, he often sort of sits on this side near the front, and he said to me, you know, for a while he thought, wow, this takes a long time for us to all have communion. Oh, boy. You know, and the bigger we get, oh, boy, this is taking a long time. And then, and then it kind of clicked for him that, that actually sitting and watching as this happened and singing these words and just watching and bearing witness to, to circle after circle after circle had become for him prayer. And I'd invite you to think about it that way as well. And then the table is tidied up. And there's a little bit of wine left, and that's finished, and the bread is put aside, and, and that, gets, that gets finished afterwards to kind of bring the feast to its close. We stand up and we say that glory to God, who's power working in us, can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. And there's a blessing, and I try not to do announcements unless we have to. Just they're on the song sheet. Stay for coffee. The chapel's there. We, you know, we are now in movement because we've been fed. We're now in movement. Let's sing our way home. And yeah, lots of people are going to stop for coffee and a conversation, but we are being mobilized into the rest of life. And that is kind of the closing, the closing step, right? is to sing and then to be sent. Each step of the way is loaded with all of these little bits of symbols and this rationale. I just invite you, whenever those words are sitting in front of you and you catch yourself saying something by rote, or if you see something symbolic and you don't understand the symbol, ask me. Let's, so that you know, so that those symbols can go deep and become for us kind of living icons. And again, if, if you find yourself going, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires own, and from whom no secrets are hid, stop yourself and say it like you mean it. Say it like the words are true, because they are. I said it's a little unusual to leave you seated for the Eucharistic prayer, but I think that people further back may be able to see a little bit more. Um, my encouragement as we begin this is to try not to get too distracted by whatever editorial comments I might make, because this is still very much prayer. The Lord be with you. Come on, come on. Today of all days, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We give you thanks and praise, Almighty God, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. 
He is your living word through whom you have created all things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he took flesh of the Virgin Mary and shared our human nature. He lived and died as one of us to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. In fulfillment of your will, he stretched out his hands in suffering to bring release to those who place their hope in you, and so he won for you this holy people. He chose to bear our griefs and sorrows and to give up his life on the cross that he might shatter the chains of evil and death and banish the darkness of sin and despair. By his resurrection, he brings us into the light of your presence. Now, the opening part of that Eucharistic prayer is, in a sense, a short rehearsal of the whole gospel story of the life and death and resurrection of Christ, but also of what that has meant for all of humanity. And as it's prayed, my hands are in this position, which is the traditional prayer position of the ancient church and prior. Um, and you might have noticed at the beginning, actually, with the greetings, the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts with that lifting motion. We lift them to the Lord. When I say it is, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, I keep my hands together because I'm actually waiting for you to reply. Because what's happening in that little exchange, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, and you say it is right to give our thanks and praise. And when you do that, I give a nod. And that's a little exchange of acknowledgement where in a sense you have said to me, continue in this prayer on our behalf. It's a kind of, a, of an asking for your consent and a receiving of that with that little bow. And then into the rehearsal of the saving history to the, come to the point where I say, and now with all creation we raise our voices to proclaim the glory of your name. And we sing that hymn. <clears throat> That's a point at which the sign of the cross is made. And it's a way of saying, with my body, 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the one who hung on the cross. That's Jesus. That's who that is. So I write it on my body. But it's also an asking for that blessing. That we be blessed similarly. And so you see other people doing the same all through the congregation. The other thing is that suddenly there's a little host around um, who kind of emerge during the singing of that and stand at the table and kind of connect the whole community symbolically at the table to say, this isn't mine, it's ours. Holy and gracious God, accept our praise through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who in the night he was handed over to suffering and, suffering and death to bread and gave you thanks, saying, take and eat, this is my body which is broken for you. The same way he took the wine, saying, this is my blood which is shed for you. When you do this, you do it in memory of me. Now in each of those moments, there's a kind of a little rehearsal of the Passover story happening. Where in that Passover meal, bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given. And a blessing cup is taken, blessed, shared, similar. Um, but actually, the same shape marks the whole communion prayer. Because when this bread is brought up, it's taken, placed on the table. In the midst of the prayer, it's blessed. Then at the end, it's broken, and I say the body of Christ. And then it's given, or it's shared. And so through the whole action, we echo the gospel story. Remembering, therefore, his death and resurrection, we offer you this bread and this cup, giving thanks that you made us worthy to stand in your presence and together to serve you as your priestly people. This is a celebration of a whole priesthood, of all of us. And we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon the offering of your holy church. Gather into one all who share in these sacred mysteries, filling us with your Holy Spirit and confirming our faith in the truth that together we may praise you and give you glory through your servant, Jesus Christ. And through that whole stanza, when we're asking that the Spirit be upon these gifts and upon us, it's us, it's us, it's our work, it's our celebration together as the body whose head is Christ. And then with a kind of a doxology, all glory and honor are yours, Father and Son, with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Church, now and forever, and the whole community gives its assent by saying, Amen. It's my practice to, to follow my knee at that point. Um, it's a sign of, I suppose, of my, my deep humility that I'm allowed to do this in the first place. And it's just a sign that, that, that I can only ever be a servant in this. And then... As our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The bread is broken and 
words drawn from St. Augustine in the 5th century. This is the body of Christ. Behold what you are. Become what you receive. Amen. This is the table not merely of the church, but of Christ. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, whether you have much faith or little, have tried to follow or afraid you've failed, come, because it is his will that those who want to meet him might meet him here. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That is clearly a very open invitation to come to this table. You are always welcome. Nobody should ever feel obligation, but you're always welcome. So, we're going to uh, move into that now, and I'd invite you to kind of go to the editorial space and into something a little bit closer to prayer.